the very first thing is to talk to everyone, right? Because you just never know where, where that opportunity is going to come. So I mentioned a building to someone who's not in real estate, who knows nothing about this, and they knew someone and immediately it clicked in their minds. Hey, let me connect you to this person. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back. It's your host, Adam AAA Adams, and I'm particularly excited today because we have a special guest, Fabiola uh, Flor. I, how come I can't say it? Say it for me. You, you almost had it, Fabiola Florenville. Florenville. I should have known. I should have known. I practiced it right before we you started did. recording, too. That's embarrassing. All right. So we're with Fabiola Florenville. And I'm excited because she is a developer. So I want to take you back a few years, uh, about 14 years, to uh, around the time that she's graduating from grad school. And she makes two decisions. Decision number one, I'm going to have a marketing company. And decision number two, I need to be involved in real estate and put my put the money that I earn into a place where it can grow and work for me because I worked hard for that dollar. Now I want it to go to work for me. So she's making her dollar sweat and she started in 2006 where she bought her first single family house in and or around Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And that was kind of her intro into, into everything at the height of the market. Remember, we're talking about 2006. So 2006, if you all remember back when, that's when properties everywhere were at the top of the market, the very, very peak, especially in Atlanta and Florida. And then they started coming way down in 2008. So she had a property back then and what she's been doing since is she's still running that marketing company and at the same time, she's been doing a lot of development, all, uh, all sorts of different things like single family, multifamily, which is why we have her on this show. She's also done some other cool things that I'm excited to share with you. She's got this one uh, property. It's 138 units and she's turning it into a, an affordable assisted living. So in, we, we, I think we talked for about 20 minutes before we started recording. That's not normal, everybody. That, sometimes it's five to 15 minutes, but 20 minutes of a pre-interview, I was just so fascinated with all the things that she's doing. I'm excited to bring her to you. So with that said, Fabiola, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hey, everyone, and thanks, Adam, triple A, Adams. <laughs> <laughs> did I say it right? You did. You did. You crushed it. You crushed it. You you did better than I did. So good job. Good job. So over the course of the last 14-ish years, you've uh, developed, as I understand it, about 10 properties. I want you to tell me about the very first development deal that you did even if it was single family, I'm very curious what the first development deal was and, and how it turned out and where it was and were you scared at the time? What was kind of going through your mind? Well, you know, let me, let me just say something. My, my first decision was uh, how do I get out of corporate America? Because I graduated with an MBA. So I was being groomed to go into corporate America and I had interviews lined up for that. And, you know, I ditched all of them and said, 
this is going to sound crazy, but um, I'm not doing this. And so I went into business. So that was the very first decision to look crazy in front of everyone else and to say, I'm not going the traditional path. I can imagine what that would feel like. And so you decided somehow, and this was 2006. Right. So I don't, I'm trying to think what made you decide that you need to start your own business and invest in real estate? Did you read a book? Did you talk to a friend? Did your dad do this? Well, so uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I always said, even as a, I, my, the very first time I said this in the seventh grade was that I was not going to work for anyone. So everyone already knew that, but I just sounded crazy. So um, I was never really a good employee. So I've never had a corporate job. So every job that I had, it was always like a side job, you know, during school. Um, and I got fired from every one of those jobs just from, for doing my own thing on the job. So I'm working, but I'm probably researching on company time and printing stuff for free on company time. So I, I always knew that it was just not going to work out for me. And grad school was amazing. I loved the program, but just having to fit into that corporate mode was just, you know, I got to a point, I mean, I interviewed with American Airlines. They took me out to Dallas for a second interview and I was like, this just does not fit me. So I came to the point to where I was going to have to create my own job. And that's, that's a decision that I made. I looked crazy. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about foregoing signing bonuses with American Airlines um, to say that you're going to start from scratch with nothing. Um, was crazy. So how I actually came into real estate, I started the marketing company because I did a six month non-paid internship with another marketing company just to start to get my feet wet. And um, that was like my fast start because during that six month, I was starting to accumulate my own clientele on the side. Um, and that's something that I tell students now, take the free gig if it's going to give you the boost that you need. And I did that for free. And my parents looked at me like I was crazy. How did you just spend all this money on an MBA? And now you're an intern for free. But how I actually got into real estate, a guy that I was dating at the time, um, we had recently reconnected and he asked me what I wanted to do. And um, that's when we had Barnes and Noble. So I would sit in Barnes and Noble. I mean, I'm, I don't have a job, right? And read all the books for free, like four or five hours a day. And that's where you had um, the no money down, the wraparound mortgage, all Wait, that creative you stuff. you would read how many books a day? Well, not a day, but I would just, I would oh. be at Barnes and Noble for like four or five hours a day. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you, I heard it totally no, no, wrong. No. I was like, you read really fast. No, no, no. I was okay, okay. reading real estate books like all day long. Wow. I would just go to Barnes and Noble and just do it for free. Wow. Um, and he asked me, what did I want, want to do? You know, the fact that I didn't go this traditional path. And I said, I wanted to get into real estate. So he had a trucking company. I had the business brain. He said, I don't know anything about real estate. I don't know anything about that, but I know how your hustle is. I'll fund it for you. And that's how I got started. So he uh, loaned me uh, the down payment. So we did hard money at the time. So the money that I needed to come to the table, I didn't have the credit because I'm in grad school. And he said, like one of my guy friends, he has like a one credit. He'll be your guarantor. And this is a guy that I didn't know, but was willing to do it off of the word of someone else. And we literally did a handshake deal. I mean, I was young, early 20s. I mean, I'm not looking at the formalities of getting an attorney and CPA and drafting documents. It's just like, I trust you. Okay, I trust you. And we're just going to do it. 
And that's exactly how it happened. So I essentially let the entire deal, you know, uh, found the hard money lender, uh, convinced them to loan me without having any money in the bank, no income, nothing. I don't know how I did it, actually. And we did it. And it, it was a good deal in the sense to where we bought something with like crazy equity in like near downtown Atlanta. You know, at that time, everything is like overly inflated. So the appraisal was like overly inflated. And so we were able to, you know, to do that, rehab it, get some money out of it a couple of times. I paid them back within, you know, like less than 45 days and made them whole. So everybody was happy, you know, just from that first part. Okay, cool. That's a really good story. I love it. How, so I have, I, I might have a misunderstanding and I want to make sure that I'm clear. When we talk uh, developing, development, are we talking uh, purchasing something that's existing and rehabbing it, making it better, uh, changing the, the structure, or is this like ground up development so, I can, so we can be clear? Well, that was my first start. So for that, I'm talking about the very first investment property that I purchased. So it was a a rehab property, you know, uh, for the sake of, you know, flipping it or selling it. Um, And then I've purchased others in between then where I've taken down walls, you know, changed the structure, put back up walls. And especially with this 138 unit, it's not ground up, but I'm essentially redesigning the whole footprint because it didn't have the amenities that is needed now for the assistant living side. Okay. Okay. Well, I wanted to, I, I want to talk about that deal for a little bit, this 138 units. Uh, what was it before you bought it and it, what are you doing with it today? So it was a senior housing building, just plain multifamily, just for seniors. Um, so no special amenities, just, you know, independent units. And so uh, right now I'm redeveloping it into an assistant living facility. So when I saw the building, I just figured it would be another multifamily. I never really had plans to be on the ALF side since that's not really my niche or space or anything like that. But just over time, just how it had, how it happened to just come to fruition, meeting the right partners through discussion and research, um, that became the idea. So there's going to be an on-site adult living facility with this property, in addition to the typical amenities that come with an ALS. So a full commercial kitchen, dining facilities, gym, community room, that type of stuff. That's really cool. Love it. And so with the uh, with this property, I wanted to ask you a little bit because you said it's not your typical model. I know like you have that other, you have some other apartments and everything else. Like even in Jackson, I used to live in Jacksonville, which is kind of cool. Did. Yeah. So I'd be curious where your 39 unit is. Cause I, I used to live in um, Riverside Avondale area. Um, I don't know Jacksonville. Well, I just got tired of investing in Miami and someone took me off to Jacksonville about three, yeah. four years ago. And so I bought the first property there sight unseen, honestly. Um, okay. But Jacksonville has been really good for me, but I've just never really spent enough time to really learn Jacksonville like I need to. Got it. Got it. So going back to the 138 unit, though, the one that you're converting um, to assisted living, I was really curious about the ins and outs of how it works with the government subsidies that you're working with, the, the pay for each individual. So I want to get into that, uh, but first I just want to mention because it, it it was 
impactful when you mentioned it to me that because it wasn't your typical model, it you found some partners that kind of made sure that all of the puzzle pieces were there. And so I want to I want to get into the details of the deal, but first I want to get into the details of how you found your partners, how how why it's good that you have them on your team, and you're kind of working this with uh, with multiple people to make sure that it's going to be successful. Right. So when I found this building, as I mentioned before, it was just multifamily to me, right? N- nothing else. Um, and I had been discussing back and forth with the owner for about six, seven months. Um, and just watching activity on it, not really quite ready to move yet. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking through like all the other puzzles, like financing and construction and everything else, but not yet having the full business plan laid out. The turning point came for me where I just mentioned it to a colleague who's not in the real estate space, but just in the business space as a CEO of a major organization here in Florida. You know, I've been looking at this building, former senior housing, and this colleague mentioned you should meet you know, this person who essentially runs in the assistant living space and they know how to, you know, do all the government subsidies. She didn't explain it, you know, well, because she's not in real estate. So I said, go ahead and set it up. And literally, uh, she set up a dinner um, and I'm in the middle of this person's house and said, look, I've been looking at this building. If I go ahead and buy this building, she was explaining just the history of the company. If I go ahead and buy this building, will you come on board as a partner? And, you know, they were like, well, I'm not putting any equity. I, you know, I can't do anything like that. So I'm not looking for equity. I need someone that could run this for me after the fact, just because it's out of state. So I'm not going to be like, you know, an in-market um, property manager or an asset manager. And so I need someone who already knows this space. And based off of what you're telling me, this is your lane. And that's essentially what made me move on this property. So just a chance meeting with someone who knew this space and who said that they would be willing to come in as an operating partner. And that gave me the confidence that I needed. That's really cool. And they've been managing more than 20 different assisted living facilities over 20 plus years or something. Yeah. So the first one that they created the model is unique and most assistant living facilities are self-pay for one, right? So if anyone who has a senior parent or a grandparent, they'll know that this is not cheap. So the, the typical assistant living facility could be anywhere from four to 7,000, depending on, you know, amenities, location, lifestyle, et cetera. And being in Florida, this is very common, right? To have assistant living facilities. But the model that was created 23 years ago was a public housing facility where it was made affordable and it would subsidize the cost to the resident. And so the first uh, Medicaid waiver in the state of Florida was written for this particular building. And HUD uses this model now and they wave it as a a flag. Um, And the building was the Helen Sawyer building that was created about 23 years ago. It was uh, owned by the Miami-Dade Public Housing Authority. Um, And they converted it into an assisted living facility using the combination of HUD Section 8 and Medicaid waivers. And this was the first waiver written in the state of Florida and essentially the first senior public housing project in the entire country. Cool stuff. So I have a, let me ask you this. There's going to be several listeners that might not have done their first deal yet. And I would say your story is pretty inspiring. What would you have to say to someone who's just 
brand spanking new. They really want to get into this. They're you in 2006. Maybe they're reading five hours at, at, at Barnes and Noble. Who knows? But what would you be, what would you share with them that would help them to be able to, I guess, two things, skip any mistakes you might've made if you've, okay. if you've made them <laughs> to skip some of those I have, and to, and to just streamline their success. Well, the very first thing is to talk to everyone, right? Because you just never know where, where that opportunity is going to come. So I mentioned a building to someone who's not in real estate, who knows nothing about this, and they knew someone and immediately it clicked in their minds. Hey, let me connect you to this person. So speak to someone, even the very first property, there's money all around us. The very first property came from a guy, you know, who was like, look, I don't know real estate, but I have money. And I can, you know, lend that to you if you make me a partner. So you just never know where it's going to come from. And I think sometimes we just don't see the money, right? I purchased this building, the 138 unit without seeing the financing. But for me, that was not the concern. I just know that if you have a good deal, money's going to follow it, right? Um, so I was just looking for just a good enough model that I can start with. So that's the second point. I don't, for, at least for me, I don't need to have all the details in place. And sometimes people tend to just um, over plan. And because you over plan, you just never really execute it. For me, I just go off of hunch. And my, I mean, as a woman, we just have this natural instinct anyway, that says, eh, yeah, no. Um, and as long as it keeps feeling good and right to me, then that gives me enough to keep going for it. So I don't need to have all of the details. I didn't intend on having this be a lie tech. Uh, project. I didn't know anything about light tech. I had never done a light tech deal, just like I had never done anything in the senior housing space. But as you start to think through and start to plan it, things just start to, you know, come to fruition on its own. And the turning point on the light tech side is, again, me going before a CDFI for funding. And I'm thinking I'm coming to them. It was me and my attorney. We're coming to them asking for a construction loan. And they said, uh, that's only about 5% of what we do. What we really do is lie tech. And it was a game changer because my attorney and I looked at each other like, we've never put that together. Um, but the person on the other side was like, look, I can help you walk through the process. So I say that to say, you know, if, if you're in your first or your 10th deal, you know, don't really focus on all the pieces fitting together. Sometimes it looks ugly or crazy but things just naturally just start to come together as long as you just keep the process consistent. So two major points, if someone's brand new and they want to be able to start closing more, closing on deals, they should A, talk to everyone, let everyone know what they're doing, what they're up to, because you never know how that's going to turn out. And you illustrated two great points where um, the lady that you spoke with, your friend, she wasn't in real estate and she knew this person. And the second one was another friend of yours. Uh, I think you were maybe at, were dating at the time, yeah. but he, was, he wasn't in real estate either, but he was able to get you a loan guarantor, which, which was his friend, as well as put up the uh, upfront money so that you could get involved after paying for, you know, your, you know, your grad education, as well as 
having six months of unpaid intern. So this is this num- point number one, huge. And I think, I think that that goes for anyone. If we're raising more money for our deals, if we're trying to find more deals, if whatever it is that we're doing, if we neglect to mention it, it's going to be very difficult for people to do business with us. I like to call it KLTI blueprint. Know, like, trust, and then they invest. And if nobody knows what you do, nobody can go to the like, trust, or invest. They just will, they'll be blank staring, right? So that is huge. Tell people what you're doing. The first thing is to talk to everyone. The second thing you said is basically, I might be using my words here, but you said to execute the business plan, um, even without all the details. Basically saying, in a way, it's ready, fire, aim. In a way, it's, it's we're, we can figure this out as long as, as long as we have it at a good enough price, as long as we know enough of the details, we should be moving forward instead of slowing down. Right. And those two things, Fabiola, have helped you get to the next level? Yeah, and that's my business philosophy in general. So I approach everything. Obviously, I have a certain fearlessness in me, right? So I approach things with that. But even if, you know, that were not the case, my business philosophy is I'd rather try and fail than not do anything at all. So I've had my failures, but I've always had bounce backs. Even the first property that I purchased in Jacksonville, that was not intended to be a bed and breakfast. That was a three month project that took 12 months, <laughs> you know, to, to redevelop. And after 12 months of paying holding costs that you didn't anticipate, right, you start to have a lot of new thoughts that come into play. And that's how that manifested itself into a bed and breakfast. So what was the original plan? I mean, it was just going to be like a small, you know, multifamily or something like that, you know, just to, because I, I, I struck down everything. So you don't go through all of that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then with the idea of just saying, okay, let me just go ahead and completely change plans. I mean, took walls down, pulled out all pipes and everything. I gutted everything out. I mean, and it took 12 months. Um, and as I mentioned before, and this is the learning lesson. I went into Jacksonville, did not know anything about Jacksonville. I just got tired and burned out in Miami and competing and someone tipped me off to Jacksonville. So I said, let's go for it. So there's a certain naivete that sometimes helps you. And then, but sometimes that can, you know, come back and bite you. Um, I found a realtor that led me um, to this. I just knew that I wanted it in a certain area. So the mechanics of it was still right, but I would never go into a market without first learning the market. I would never do that again. Awesome. That's a great lesson for the listener to take away. Thank you. I have so many questions for you. I'm trying to see if, if we're doing okay on time. Are you, are you okay for the top yeah. of the hour or do you want to push it a little bit faster than that? Good. No, I'm good okay. for time. All right. So the first question is sum it up in the shortest words possible. Why multifamily? Why apartments? Well, because when you face burnout <laughs> from anything less than apartment, you want to at least get something worthwhile for your money. So Jacksonville was my final last straw for burnout. The next question that I have is, 
I understand that you've had massive success. You've done a lot of great things. And what's even cooler is you've done most of this or all of this with your own money. For the most part, uh, the people in, in my circle, we do syndication. So the down payment, maybe a hundred grand comes from us, but we're probably going to raise 6 million from other people and that's how we close on it. So it's remarkable that you've, that you've achieved that, that you've gotten to this place where you could buy this 138 on your own. And I want to, I want to share with the listener something that went wrong. So I'm wanting to ask, even though you've had this much success and you mentioned earlier, you'd rather try and fail than not try at all. The question is, if I can get it succinctly, is uh, even though you've had this much success, what is your biggest failure and your biggest home run? I don't think I've had a huge failure yet that, that has sent me home and cry and want to kick the bucket and that's it. Jacksonville had some disappointments, obviously, um, and it was a learning lesson, but I was able to turn it around and now Jacksonville does me you know, remarkably well. Um, even that very first property that I purchased in Atlanta, I was like super young, right? Super naive, super ambitious, did not understand the economy <laughs> to, to know what was happening, right? And to hedge myself against some of that stuff. And then I moved so aggressively that within that first year, I had purchased a few more in a very short time. Again, not understanding the concept of certain macro environment, you know, factors. So I lost, I lost money. I made money and being young and, you know, uh, just seeing yourself start from scratch, that, that makes you feel good, right? Because remember I had the story of like foregoing the, the corporate path. And now here I am with two companies doing exceptionally well, but then you don't see what's ahead. So, you know, I've learned to be more prudent since then. Obviously, I'm older, but I've learned to be more prudent. So I've had some failures with that. You know, I took money out of that a couple of times. So I over leveraged myself, you know, um, which I would never do again. I'd rather not have than to over leverage myself. And when the market crashed, it crashed with me. But I was so young. I was like, you know what? To hell with it. <laughs> I made my money. I'm so young that I'm going to bounce back anyway. So I cannot do that now just because I have a lot more to lose. So I would say that those are probably like the failures and having to start over and relearn certain things, retrain yourself. But those failures are actually good for you. So I embrace failure. Actually, I don't run from it. So um, if I do something and not have a hiccup or a failure, that might scare me more than failing. Makes sense. Love that. That's such a great perspective to think about. Well, let's take a let's take a quick break and then we'll get into my favorite five questions, the final five. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have uh, been listening to the show for a little while, you love the show, and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review, I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, so that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. Fabiola, what is a book you recommend? I'm so bad because I have not read a book from front to end in probably two years. 
Um, The last book that I can remember being very uh, memorable to me was The Slight Edge. Tell me a little bit more about that one. I haven't read it yet. So The Slight Edge is really about doing growing by 1% daily. So doing that thing that's going to give you that edge every day and Mm. that the cumulative effect of it is more powerful than just making the big leap. Awesome. Awesome. That's really good. It reminds me a little bit of The Compound Effect uh, by Darren Hardy that I read. It just, the thought of, the thought of just making micro changes now and how that compounds over time. I, I, I like that. So I'll have to look that up. I'll have my, uh, my assistants probably listening to this right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking them, <laughs> put that book to the side, purchase it on my Amazon Audible, and I'll dive into that and, and be right there with you. So question number two, what is your biggest win of the week? Um, my biggest win is on the marketing side. So I have an agency where we, we work more on the government side. So we do a lot of government and corporate uh, marketing strategy. And um, with one particular um, client, I think we overstretch ourselves. COVID has been very busy. So we actually finished a project that was not in, in the lane that we typically worked in. And a couple of times this week, I was like, damn you, Fab. Like, dang, you did a great job. So um, I would say that's my win. Just, you know, I'm always stretching myself and doing something that is not the norm for me. And when I can see it through, even though I've pulled out my hair a few times, by the end of it, I'm like, wow, you actually did this. So nice. That might well, be good. small to someone else, but to me, it's big. Well, congrats. That, <laughs> that is really cool. I'm glad that it worked out. Uh, question number three, what's a challenge that you've recently overcome in your multifamily business? Yeah, so initially when I purchased this 138 unit, I was looking at private equity because it's a $20 million construction project. And so I started to pitch it to capital markets guys and private equity, you know, to raise it instead of going the syndication route or anything like that. Um, And I found a group that was willing to cut the check that I needed um, to bring my piece of the equity into the table, our piece of the equity into the table. Um, but there were some mechanics of that that didn't really sit the best with me. Hmm. In the meantime, my attorney, I told him that I was looking for a co-developer in the market um, since it's out of state. And he sent me a couple of names. I said, nah. He sent me one name. I was like, hmm, interesting. And that guy ended up becoming, he's, he's an automotive mogul. And that's who my co-developer is. So that essentially x the need for a private equity firm just because he can be my private equity and that's That's where things happen without you actually planning and that's why i talk to everyone you just never know sweet i like that um questions four and five are pretty similar it's you telling the listener the one thing just the one thing Question number four is the listener who has never done a deal, the best advice for them to get involved. And the second, the fifth question is that listener who might have already done 100 or 200 apartment communities. And it's the question of what can take them to the next level. So yeah, question four and five, I'll, I'll give it to you. So number four is find someone else to go in with you. Don't go at it alone. And mm. number five, what would take you, I'm all about scale. So if you've already done 100 to 200 units, 
uh, find someone who's done a thousand and offer them something that adds them value, but obviously would bring tremendous value to helping you scale. I like that. In it almost, it's almost the same advice. It, if, you, if you think about it, it's like you don't want the blind leading the blind. You don't get anywhere when the blind leads the blind. So for, if you're brand new, you need someone who's done more than you. You need someone who's done 100 or 200 or more to partner with you so that you do it right. Well, not necessarily. If you're brand new, okay. find someone to cushion the blow. So like I've, I've brought in my mom, my sisters, my dad. Okay. Hey, okay. I so it, it doesn't have to be somebody who's done the hundred. It just need, it's just partnering. Just partner because you, okay. for me, I'm about cushioning the blow, right? If I can do it all on my own, that's fine. But I rather soften the blow, <laughs> um, not from a failure perspective, but so I don't have to think through everything on my own. And plus, it, it still keeps me liquid to be able to do other things at the same mm. time. If I use all my resources for one deal, then I, have, I lose my liquidity. Yeah. So, um, and there are people all around you who are looking for someone to take the leap and be fearless. So find someone to collaborate with, especially if it's your first. Don't do it by yourself. Brilliant. Okay. I'm glad you, I'm glad you helped me clarify that. And, but, and then for the last one, you said, if you've done a hundred or 200, find someone who's done a thousand or more, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, because I've had, and on LinkedIn, I network a lot on LinkedIn and I keep in touch with people. And I've had a group with a, that was closing on a thousand unit deal. Right. And I've never done a thousand units, but I've done enough to where, you know, they approach me and say, look, if you can help us raise the rest, we can cut you a piece. I mean, they raised it before I could even sneeze. <laughs> but needless to say, the fact that they still need the help. Right. Even if they've done a thousand units. So your 100 unit does not disqualify you from having that conversation mm. with a thousand unit person. That's an inspiring. I, I like the way that you said that. Uh, I, I only have one last question. It's not part of the final five, but uh, the listener is wondering the best way that they can find you and get a hold of you. Um, so name just one, not two or five. Uh, what is the best way for the listener to find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So Fabiola Floraville. Yes. Florinville. Yes. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, you got why it, did, and it had to be recorded on a podcast and <laughs> all of the listeners are laughing at me. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. All right. We really appreciate you. Um, find her on LinkedIn. What I'll also do is you, if you're listening now, you can just literally scroll down because I've already had my team put her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So you can click and jump right on over and connect with her. Thank you so much, Fabiola. I'm so glad to have you on the, on the show. Very inspirational. I loved your story. I loved your, your journey from 2006 to what you're doing now and how you're so fearless on everything that you do. You, you're willing to take a couple of punches. Thank you for being on the show. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.